Thanks so much for joining me for this recording. I'm going to talk about this um, concept of avidya, which is one of the kleshas, one of the obstacles that we encounter. Um, and Patanjali presents this in his Yoga Sutras, and it is said to be the one obstacle that all others sort of tend to sprout from. And when we look at the word avidya, anytime we see um, this prefix a added to the the beginning of a word in in Sanskrit, in particular the, the um, when it's added to a noun, it may, literally means the lack of whatever's in question, whatever we're, we're dealing with. So the word vidya means knowledge. And so avidya is translated to be a lack of knowledge. And when we look at you know, how this word is um, commonly interpreted by other teachers and scholars, they talk about this idea of ignorance um, and wrong knowing. So I just want to spend some time really looking at this and why it's important in our understanding of our practice and ourselves and, and also moving forward in, you know, some of the self-reflective work. When we look at the sutra in which Patanjali presents this um, klesha, this obstacle of vidya, he says at some chapter 2, sutra 5, anitya, asuchi, dukkha, anatmasu, nitya, suchi, sukha, atma, kyatihi, avidya. And when we look at the literal translation that's often given, um, it's usually translated to something like ignorance is the notion that we take the self, which is joyful, pure, and eternal, and we mistake it for being the non-self, which is painful, unclean, and temporary. And so when we really start going a little bit deeper into this, you know, we've discussed this concept of dukkha, which is pain, and um, there's a whole recording that will be posted up shortly on this concept of pain um, in yoga. And then sukha, which is the opposite, which is joy and our experiences of those two being that dukkha is very restrictive and there are a lot of boundaries and, you know, it's that feeling of um, just being very uh, limited and constricted and then sukha is the complete opposite. So it's that blissful state, it's feeling expansive, it's feeling open. Um, when we look at how we might apply this concept just on a very superficial level, in our everyday life. Avidya is, you know, if we look at it for being that that wrong knowing, a lot of the time for us it's this um, lack of understanding that what we perceive to be good or a positive experience or sukha, blissful, can often lead us into a state of dukkha. A state of suffering and so if we look at something like 
addictions. Um, that that's probably quite a, a quite a good understanding or, or base level of this concept of avidya. You know, at the time when you're addicted to sugar and cakes and you know everything that tastes good, it feels good. You know, you feel great, and then you know with prolonged cravings for sugar and um and consumption of because it does feel good and it feeds into that state of sukha we then find that maybe we are consuming too many calories and putting on weight and then if we continue on this path long term we end up with all sorts of issues with you know diabetes cardiovascular disease and all sorts of other issues and it's often not until we're kind of you know in a real state of disease or suffering that we can then look back and go you know all of all of the times when I indulged in that sugar and that good feeling um I contributed to this this state of disease and sometimes that um realization doesn't happen you know even when, when we're in a, a significant state of, of pain. Um, we've all had that friend that ends up in that fairly volatile relationship and or we find that every time they're dating someone, they're in the same cycle or complaining about the same issues. Um, and yet they're completely unaware that they are, there's a pattern within them or a, a lack of knowledge of that pattern within them that's leading them to choose to be around um, others or be in relation to others who are expressing certain patterns themselves and contributing to a state of, a, you know, a volatile, perhaps not very healthy um, relationship. So that's another example of avidya. Um, and sometimes, again, those, those friends that we have who are in that, that situation, it can be very frustrating as an outsider because you know, we kind of look at them and you go, like, we've had this, like, the last three, four relationships you've been in that have been very, very similar in, you know, the issues that you've encountered and, you know, at what point are you going to look at, you know, the the choices that you're making but you know it's important that we have some patience because of this understanding that well they are convinced in that moment that they're making the right decision it's coming from a place of avidya a place of wrong knowing thinking that we are doing good that it is good when in actual fact there is an existing pattern there that's leading us towards more suffering. And there's so, so many examples that we could, you know, go down here, um, both physical, emotional, 
and psychological. It's a big issue today, I think, too, because of the level of impatience we all struggle with. Um, you know, we want everything now. Oh, we want everything yesterday. And so, you know, it's always about the quick fix or the how do I get there the fastest way possible. Um, and when we're in a state of a video too, it's interesting because we then tend to tie everything up in that state. You know, it becomes our identity. So our ego gets very tied into what, what we believe to be the truth or the right thing. And then you know, people who might hold up the mirror and reflect actual truth, um, we don't want to listen to because sometimes the truth is quite painful. And so we push those people away um, and we tend to spend more time with others who will actually facilitate and feed whatever our current knowing is or whatever our current belief is. So, you know, this is this is the way a video can be quite, you know, um, quite insidious and quite difficult to break. Um, and for a lot of people it requires a, a significant amount of suffering before they actually really look inwardly um, and look at how their beliefs are actually creating their reality. If we see something or perceive something in a state of avidya, wrong knowledge, the most dangerous thing about avidya is that we don't realize, we don't know that it's wrong knowledge. We are, when we're acting from this state, we are believing that we are right, that we are seeing things clearly, that we are perceiving things as they are. So if we then go a little bit deeper and we look at the relevance of avidya to some of the concepts in yoga, we've talked about purusha, which is consciousness, and prakriti, which is matter or not conscious. Um, and the ultimate avidya in yoga, it's said, is when we identify ourselves to be or as prakriti, as the non-conscious. So it's this understanding that I am my body and my mind. Because remember, body and mind are made up of prakriti, 
made up of matter. Um, and so if we understand this in terms of then moving a little bit deeper, yoga is very much concerned with establishing that consciousness at self, purusha, which is always there, even if we don't have a strong connection to it, to that consciousness. But the practice of yoga is such that it tries to take us closer and closer to knowing and being with our consciousness, our purusha. This um, idea of um, ignorance or avidya is really extensively discussed in all of the philosophical schools. Um, it's discussed in Vedanta, um, in Sankhya philosophy, because it's said to be the cause of bondage for, you know, for all of us. Um, there's a, a story that um, comes from some of the Vedantic uh, texts, and Dr. N.C. has said this one many times. If you think um, of a vidya in relation to, to this story, there's a, a person, a young man, walking along a, a bushy path at dusk and he happens to come upon a rope that is lying on the path but he mistakes that rope for being a snake and he's completely alarmed and heart rate goes through the roof and jumps up and st stress responses go into full gear and so, similar to this, is this concept of avidya, this concept of mistaking one thing to be something else. So, mistaking your self, or your non-self rather, <laughs> as being the real self. And so it's a false understanding Mm. This is probably referred to by a lot of the teachers as the ultimate confusion. Ultimate confusion. And when we know the difference between the two, we know the difference between Purusha and Prakriti, we know the difference between our consciousness and, and matter, then we can be freed from a lot of the delusion that we suffer from. And you can see it with this just preoccupation with the body. Um, I always say it, but, you know, old people have so much to 
offer us. And um, it's interesting because coming from a slightly more um, conservative, old-fashioned family, I guess, you know, my grandmother's very, very clear that she never wants to be put in a nursing home or in care. Um, And it's certainly culturally not something that is very well accepted in our background. So, you know, for generations, grandparents live with their children and grandchildren. And so you're raised in a house with your grandparents and you see that aging process. Um, and eventually, you know, the, the last stages of their life and what that's like. We've lost touch with that a little bit, I think, because in, you know, certain Western cultures, when people get um, older and for, you know, different reasons, they are put into homes and we might not necessarily see that slow demise of the body. But um, if we reflect on this and maybe spend some time with our elderly, we see that once their body and mind was young, you know, it was youthful and functioned beautifully and, you know, they were able to do everything and do for themselves. But eventually through the aging process, um, the body and the mind do start to break down and they are very much impermanent. But we live most of our lives as though the body and the mind are permanent. And we really hold on to this over-identification with body and mind. And so there are even, you know, even in a lot of the Buddhist teachings... They have these um, meditations that they do on, you know, aging bodies and corpses and things and also on um, the different tissues in the body and understanding that we are a combination of muscles and bones and skin and that is not all of what we are it's one very small part it is that part of us that allows purusha that allows the true self consciousness to experience prakriti to experience matter Hence why there's such a breakdown of you know what what makes what makes the mind up so that we can understand that we have to go beyond mind. You can't connect with consciousness just through mind. You can't sit and just read and study and learn about philosophy. Um, there has to be a going beyond that there has to be a a practice applied and 
you know, every school is a slightly different approach to that moving beyond just the mind so that we can connect with other parts. So I hope that all made sense. Just want to wrap up by saying that the body and the and the mind and prakriti can be destroyed but consciousness can't the body and the mind have patterns and they have impressions and they come about through our experiences but consciousness is pure and clean it doesn't suffer from the same impressions from the same patterns so if you're ever you're reflecting on the difference between the two purushan prakriti or what is purusha if you can just reflect on that concept a little bit that we have to go beyond just the intellect to connect that it is a practice over lifetimes probably <laughs> for majority of us and that you know everything other than that is confusion Thanks so much for listening. I hope that was helpful. And if you have any questions, please reach out. I'm happy to hear them. I'll see you at the studio soon.